Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd be offended by that video if I didn't know it was made by a Mets fan, so. <laughs> it's hard to make fun of a major league fan when you're a fan of a minor league team, so. Um, but hey, welcome. I'd like to welcome everybody here. Thank you. Uh, online viewers, I just, uh, just a reminder, the camera adds 25 to 50 pounds. So this, I, I'm a lot more fitter in real life. I just want you guys to know. Um, but hey, I'm glad you guys are here. I was thinking about it today, and I think it's been, oh man, I think it's been like eight, nine months since I preached last. Um, and I don't really watch the news. Has there been anything going on? <laughs> I don't. Man, what a mess, huh? Yeah. 2020, my goodness. Um, it's, been, it's been quite a year 2020's been, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to tell any of you. As the guy who gets his news from SportsCenter, I even know what's going on. Um, it's been a tough year, you know, and I was thinking about it, I'm, I'm 37 years old, so I was born in 1982, and so I'm like at the top end of the millennials. And, you know, talking to a lot of people my age, it's been a real struggle for a lot of people this year. And although I think if you look at millennials in general, probably the biggest cultural thing we've probably had to deal with is dial-up internet. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I mean, we have had struggles, you know, 2008, the housing crash, 2000. 9-11, uh, there's been some struggles, but culturally, if you look back over the history of this country and the struggles that this country's gone through, you know, the Great Depression, World War II, the draft, Vietnam, there's been a lot of big cultural shifts. And I think for my generation, this time that we're living in has, has become a real struggle for us. And I think even generations above with, with pandemics, with cultural movements, with politics, with everything else going on, Man, it's been tough. And I, I saw this statistic here recently, and it said during the pandemic, 50 to 500% of all people have lost their minds. And, and I thought that seems a little low. Um, but no, I mean, I, I joke, but I mean, it is a serious time. And I think a lot of people in here have felt the pressure of the things going on in this world and the struggles going on. And I think one of the biggest struggles that we're going through right now is one, it is way more, this country has become way more divisive on everything. And I think I could say that and everybody would almost agree with me that this country has become way more divisive on every single issue than we've ever seen it before. And I think the one thing that we can all agree on as well is I think one of the biggest struggles that I think I'm going through and a lot of people are going through is the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen going forward. We don't know how this pandemic's gonna end. We don't know how these cultural issues are gonna end. We don't know polit politics-wise with, I don't think we know how it's all gonna end up. And I think all of that is scary, especially I think for people of my age because the country has pretty much stayed kind of the same most of my life. It's been, you can kind of, you know, it kind of goes the same way and it hasn't really affected my little life in my little town. Where now it seems like these issues are starting to become big enough that they've started to affect even our small town and I think it's become a big weight for all of us to bear. And I think the unknown of not knowing what's gonna happen becomes a weight that is hard for all of us to bear. 
And it reminds me of a time um, in my life, and this is kind of like a small microcosm of my life of um, when my wife and I did my first, our first adoption, which a lot of you guys know was Ruby. It was an out-of-country adoption, and we were in Uganda. And the thing is, when you're doing adoptions in other countries, you go and they tell you, yeah, it's going to be three to six weeks. But the reality of that three to six weeks is, yeah, it might only take three weeks, but the top end is basically forever. Because you go into a country and you have no idea what's really going to happen. Because when you go to another country to adopt, you have to go to court, the judge has to grant you rights, you have to get a passport, you have to get all these things in place, and you have to do all these transactions of going to the doctor, getting a visa, getting a passport. And as you guys know, in the United States, it's hard to even get a passport in six weeks in the United States. So you can imagine in third world countries like Uganda, and for example, like when we first get there, we go to see our lawyer because we're supposed to talk about the court case. He made the appointment and we go to see our lawyer to our appointment and they go, oh, he's on vacation. <laughs> he made the appointment. Are all these other people in this room in this strip mall, are they here for appointment? Yeah, but he's on vacation. Oh, well, good thing we got here a week early to see him. And that's how it goes. Every single person in the adoption story has some sort of story like that where, oh, I got my passport, the guy made my passport, and then you know what, he put it in his locker and he on went on vacation for three weeks, so I was stuck in country for three weeks. We met a family over there that was adopting two, two children. One of the judges granted one of the children, but the other judge said, no, I'm not gonna grant it. I don't agree with the way the law's written. And they spent over a year in Uganda with that child. Because they just give you the child when you get there before you even go to court. And I remember that time we spent in Uganda, it was constantly, we kept waiting on the judge to sign a piece of paper. It took us like five weeks for him just to sign the piece of paper. And literally we sat at court for an entire day waiting for his assistant to come out. And finally we begged his assistant to let us go see the judge. And the judge walks in and he goes, who are these people? And the, the, the guy explains it to him and he goes, oh, he reaches over, grabs a piece of paper and signs it. We'd waited five weeks for that. And everybody has a story like that. I'm sure there are missionaries who are listening right now who are in Africa, and they're like, yeah, that's Africa. You know, that's, that's how it goes in Uganda. But the, the weight of that, of the unknowing of when we were going to go home, the unknowing of when we were going to get on with our life, the unknowing of what was going to happen, were we going to spend a year in this country? You know, I have a job, I have all these things, I told people I'd be back in this amount of time, and that unknowing just waited on me. And it created a lot of stress between me and my wife and with my kids, and it was a stressful time for me. And I remember one night I was sitting there, and I was kind of feeling sorry for myself, and I was kind of feeling bad, and I, was thinking, and I opened up my Bible, and I opened it up to Acts, and I read a story about Paul. And it was a story of Paul where he was arrested, and he was on a boat, and a storm hits. And in the story it said, for 14 days, hurricane-type winds hit that boat. He said, it won, after 14 days, Paul finally went out to the crew and said, you need to eat and drink and get your strength up because not a hair on your head will be harmed. But for 14 days, this crew did not eat or drink anything because they were so stressed out about what was going to happen to them. And the unknown of what was going to happen to him. And I feel like that's a lot of what we're living right now. And I think one of the first things, kind of a side note, I feel like any time that you might 
feel sorry for ourselves or you're struggling about the life around you, I do encourage you, if you take solace in other people's pain to make your life feel better, just open the Bible really to any page because it's filled with people's lives who are in horrible positions and horrible spots. And if you look at the life of Paul, Paul's life was hard. Paul's life, he struggled. His missionary journey was about 32 years long, and it was a struggle all the way through. And we're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, because Paul kind of gives us some advice on how we handle these situations. Because Paul went through cultural upheaval. Paul went through pain. Paul went through the unknown every single day. But it's interesting in 2 Corinthians, if you know the, the story of the, of the church at Corinth, Paul basically writes the 1 Corinthians, kind of the general crux of 1 Corinthians, is Paul writes to that church, and basically there's a bunch of false prophets, and there's all this turmoil, and he kind of tries to get them straightened out. By 2 Corinthians, he fairly well gets that straightened out, but there is a faction of the church that kind of feels like Paul is didn't have the authority to do that. And so part of 2 Corinthians, Paul is basically validating his authority and letting him know what he's gone through for Christ. And so I want to read a little bit about that for us to kind of understand where Paul is coming from when we talk about this scripture we're going to talk about in chapter 4 and 5. And so if we look at 2 Corinthians, if we just look through, and I'm just going to kind of read a little bit, but if we look at Paul basically explaining the sufferings he went through in his missionary journey. And he says this, this is in 2 Corinthians 11, 11, and you can just follow along. It says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measures, in prison more frequently, in death often, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep. The journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleepness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. And that's Paul basically describing the first two-thirds of his missionary journey. Now, mind you, that's about 20 years in. He's got another 12 left. And if you look at the rest of Paul's journey, here's just kind of a quick summary of what else Paul went through. He did a two-year imprisonment in Jerusalem. He had a perilous journey from Caesarea to Rome that included another shipwreck, a snake bite. And then we come to Paul's first Roman imprisonment, a house arrest in Rome, and then Paul's second Roman imprisonment, which resulted in his execution. Not to mention, Paul was the cause of riots in Antioch, Thessalonia, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, and Jerusalem. Almost every single one of the riots that Paul caused was because of his preaching the gospel. I think Paul has some insight to when the life around you is not really, is unknown, or the life around you is chaotic, or the life around you is not always what we think it should be, or it's not always what we thought it was going to be. I think Paul understands what it's like to live this life when there's chaos and misunderstanding and divisiveness and fear and all these things that I think a lot of us are feeling in these times. And Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. We're going to pick up in verse 16. 
So, so we do not lose heart. Although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light is momentary affliction, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And he goes on, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be put in our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan. Wait, did I? I doubled up, didn't I? Let's start in chat. Well, I'm going to turn to verse 3. Sorry. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but we would, that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are good of courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each day one of us will receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul lived a life in a time that was, that is hard for me to imagine. Paul lived his life with a thought process and a perception of this life that I lose track of so many times. Paul woke up every day after being beaten with rods, being whipped 39 times, and if you don't know what that means, about the, the Jews whipping him 39 times, they figured 40 was a lethal amount of whipping somebody. So they'd whip him 39 times. Paul did that five times. I know quarantine sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> but like I said, Paul looked at this life different than everybody else around him. And this is the calling that each and every one of us has is that when we look at this life as it truly is, temporary, that changes the way we act every single day. And so the fact of the matter as Christians, as people who come here every day and we sing about God and we praise the Lord and we talk about our eternal life, what we're saying when we say that is this. We are saying that this life that I'm living is temporary. We are saying that, that the situation around us, that even this country is temporary, that this political system is temporary, that even my child's future is temporary. And that's a weird thing to say as a parent of five who spends most of my time and most of my energy focused on my kid's future. 
But when we focus on not what is seen, which we spend almost all of our energy and all of our time on, on what we can see and what we know is temporary, how much our life would look different if we spend that time focusing on what we do not see, on the eternity of this God. You know, people always say this, there's only one guarantee in life, and that's death and taxes, right? No, neither one of those things are guaranteed. Those are guaranteed in a seen world. Death and taxes, we know death is not. And taxes only are under this governmental system, which we know as Christians is temporary. I remember the story, I read a book, which is a lie actually. Um, I read part of a book while sitting in the back of the car, and I don't even remember what it was called, but the base of the idea of the book was this. It was, uh, um, well, let's not get crazy here. I mean, the, pa- <laughs> the pandemic hasn't hit me that hard. Um, but, you know, I read, I, I read part of this book, and the base of the book was it was a book that a pastor wrote about his son who was legally dead. He, you know, he was about five or six years old. He had some sort of condition, and he had one of those times where he was pronounced dead, and he came back. And the child had one of those stories about seeing heaven and seeing God. And the way the pastor described that it changed his son's life going forward was pretty impactful for me. Because he talks, he tells a story about the son, where the son actually, he had like, you know, he was a five or six year old, and so they'd go on walks, and he'd always run out into the street. And so he always tried to get his son to like stop and look both ways and do the whole thing. And he tells a story about one time where his son runs out, and he grabs him, and he was so frustrated, and he just yells at his son, he says, if you keep running out into traffic, you're going to get hit by a car, and you're going to die. And the son looks him dead in the eye, and he says, good, then I can go back to heaven. And that sounds wrong, and that sounds weird, and that sounds different, but that's what we are called to live our lives every single day. That's how Paul lived his life. His life was reckless, it was insane, it was stupid, and honestly, you know, I look at it, it looks pretty horrible. His life, his stories of his life are about imprisonment, about being bitten, about being shipwrecked, and I'll bet you there was a lot of nights he went to bed and said, God, please let this be it. Because he poured his life out, not being focused on the scene and the pain and the hurt of the scene, but he focused on the hope that he has in the eternity. And his goal was to go through those times of total cultural upheaval, of total divisiveness, of total government strangling the people. And his focus was to share this love and this hope and this eternity that God had provided for his people. Paul writes in this verse, in in chapter 5, he writes this. He says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit of a guarantee. And so I say this, I say this, I understand the divisiveness of what's going on in this country. I understand the pandemic, I made a lot of jokes, but this pandemic's a real thing and there's a lot of people who have lost lives and lost their sanity and lost things because of this pandemic and it's extremely sad. 
There's a lot of people, there's a lot of relationships that have been broken because of the cultural things that are going on and the political things that are going on and how divisive those things are. But as Christians, when we are like Paul and we focus on not what is seen but what is unseen, God created us for this opportunity. As Christians, we know everything in this world is going to be a mess, is going to be broken, and is going to fall away because we know it's temporary. We know it was built by man, and we know it's broken. And eventually it will fall away. And we have the only guarantee in this life. And that's the love of the Lord God for every single person in this. And not only that, that God prepared us for this. He's given us the opportunity to share his love in this time because we know the future. We know what's coming. We have an eternal outlook, not a short-term outlook. And I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to tell you that the struggles you're going through or the pain that you've caused through any of these things that are going on today is not real. If we look through Paul's life, he had pain every single day. He had loneliness. He had hunger. He had true pain every single day. But what did he say? Every day he will be renewed. Let's read that first line again. For we know, oh, excuse me. We do not lose heart. Though our, inner, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Because we do not focus on what is seen, but we focus on what is unseen. And for me, that's a powerful message in these times. Because so many times I find myself in conversations about issues and struggles and I don't have any answers. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this country is going to look like for my kids. But I know this. I know they can be renewed day by day, no matter what happens in this country, no matter how great a pandemic is, no how great a culture uprising, no matter who's in office, no matter what happens to this country going forward, no matter what happens to this community going forward, we can still be renewed day by day, when we focus on God. Sean's been pretty cool with his little sayings the last few weeks, hasn't he? I, I took notes, I took notes, and so I wrote a couple of my own sayings. All right? I don't know if I'm gonna get a poster out front like Sean did. I don't think I have that kind of pull. So if you haven't been to church and you forgot everything Sean preached the last four weeks, just come look in, the, look in the foyer and then you can leave and you can see what Sean preached on. He's got them up on the wall. But I wrote this. Because we know the truth of the unseen, we look at the seen different than the rest of the world and that creates action. That creates change. That makes our lives look different than the people around us. When every day we wake up and we are renewed by God and we are living for not this life, but we are living for the next one, our life looks different. Many times it looks reckless. Many times it looks crazy. But that's when true change happens and that's when truly God is seen through our lives. 
In a world of divisiveness, because we believe in the unseen, we can be peacemakers. In a world of pain, because we believe in the unseen, we can bring hope. In a world of uncertainty, because we, know, we believe in the unseen, we can bring certainty. And in a world of mistrust, because we focus on the unseen, we can provide a relationship where promises are kept. We have a unique opportunity in a struggling time. We have a unique opportunity to live in this time of change, to live in this time of struggle, to live in this time of pain, to bring a hope to a nation, to a, our country, to our, to our small community that we, that we see every day, to show them real hope, to show them real love, to show them real peace, to show them real renewal. And I challenge you guys, as you go out, if you find the weight of the world starting to drag you down, and you find yourself as part of the divisiveness and not part of the peacemakers, I'd ask you, are we focusing on what is seen, or are we focusing on what is unseen? Because we know at the end of everything, there's only one thing that's, that's real. There's only one thing that is certain. And that's that we will stand before God at the end of this. We have a hope and we have a love and we have an opportunity, guys. And I think it's an exciting time. I know it's a struggling time. It's not the year we all would have picked. But we have a great opportunity to focus more now on what is unseen than what is seen. And I believe our lives will change and I believe the people around us' lives will change.